Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. All right, now, let's dive into our message. I hope you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, in order to get this message started right, again, I'm going to give you just a, a short visual. It was Thanksgiving morning, and I was sick. And not the dainty, manageable kind of sick. I was sick. There was so much still to be done. Supplies to gather, food to prepare, and an 18-pound turkey to roast. So my dear husband decided to enlist help. If he were smart, he would have just called his mother or his sister-in-law, but no. He called his brother, Paul. Now let me just say, seeing the two of them in action is what made me understand why animals eat their young. Neither of them had any real experience in the kitchen. In fact, they had about as much business preparing a holiday dinner as I did playing linebacker in the NFL. The only meal I'd ever seen my husband prepare was a bowl of cereal. And Paul? Well, Paul had his own set of difficulties when it came to food prep. I'm not exactly sure what went on in the kitchen that day, but judging from the commotion, the laughter, and (laughs) one actual scream, I was pretty sure it was something I wasn't going to be thankful for. Good intentions can go a long way, but you need more than intentions to roast a turkey. On Thanksgiving, most of us stop and reflect on the tangible things we're thankful for. Our health, our family. However, on that Thanksgiving, I didn't have my health and I couldn't be with my family. I felt alone and somewhat forgotten. Then I remembered a time in the Bible when Moses felt alone. He wanted to see God to try and make sense of his circumstances. In turn, God said he would make his goodness pass right in front of him. And God's goodness was more than enough. I guess the trick is no matter what the circumstance you find yourself in on Thanksgiving or any day, is to see God's goodness and to thank Him for it. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, that Thanksgiving may have ended up being the best one we've ever had. Thanks to the dinner being overcooked, undercooked, and some parts raw, our family started the first annual Thanksgiving Leftovers food fight.
sure, it's silly and, and a whole lot of fun. But this tradition has become an annual reminder to our whole family that no matter how messy our lives get, we can still be thankful for God's goodness. Gotta love that, right? And I love the last line in there, no matter how messy life gets, we can still be thankful for God's goodness. I I love how she describes God promising to allow his goodness pass in front of Moses. And, And we wanna talk about those things today because I'm guessing that that family is not the only one that's experiencing some messiness in their lives. Because usually life presents itself with messiness. And I'm, I'm talking more than just food fight messiness. I'm talking about the kind of messiness that we undergo when we're facing a, a health issue. And, and we don't know exactly how to, to, to get that health issue taken care of and healed. Maybe it's cancer or heart disease or, or something that the doctors can't quite figure out how to diagnose. And we're worried and we're concerned and life feels very much out of sync. Maybe it's something in our families with relationships and, and things feel like they're fractured, maybe falling apart a little bit. And, and we don't know what to do with the messiness of our, of our family. And, and when we're undergoing that kind of messiness around us, whatever's causing that messiness, it, it can fill our hearts. And, and, and the anxiety and the worry and the frustration and the anger can so take possession of our hearts that we struggle to find space in our hearts for gratitude. You see, I, I started planning this message thinking I wanted to talk about how busy our schedules all are. And they are. I mean, people here at Crosswalk, the vast, vast majority of you, I know from the conversations I I have with you, our schedules can so easily get out of whack and out of control and we're running here and there. And, and, And that's an issue too, isn't it? That we can't create space in our schedule. And, and we find ourselves on Thanksgiving Day, instead of pausing and resting and, and pondering God's goodness, we still find ourselves running around like Martha, rather than sitting around like Mary at, at the feet of Jesus, because we're busy, busy, busy. I said I started out thinking that maybe this message would be about that, but the more I got into the message and the more I I realized what's happening here in the book of Philippians, I realized that can be an issue, the space in our schedules to, to celebrate God and his goodness and to thank him and praise him for it. But maybe more importantly is the space in our hearts. And how when our hearts are are filled with concerns and worries and anxieties and frustration and anger and all these things that can well up and fill our hearts, even if we create space in our schedule, our hearts are still so fully occupied, we may be actually sitting down at the Thanksgiving table with our hearts still full, not of praise and gratitude, but of worry and anxiety and frustration and anger. 
And so I want to talk a little bit about creating space. And, and you can see the title here is The Blessing of Thanksgiving. And I call it a blessing because I really believe we need this. We need this space that Thanksgiving provides. And maybe the easier of the two spaces to actually create is to create the space in your calendar, the day that you've set aside. Uh, For many of us, work is not going to call us in on that day. But will you also create space in your heart in order to offer up thanks to God and offer up praise to God. Paul had to to struggle with this. And let me share a little bit of of the situation, but I want to read first and then I'll, I'll share. Because as I said earlier, there's food fight messiness and there's real life messiness. In your lives, there was real life beyond food fight messiness in Paul's life too as he writes this letter to the Philippians. So let's read. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, always, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing this, and he's writing it from a jail cell. We talked about this in the book of Ephesians. Paul is right there also as he writes the the letter to the the Philippians. But what we didn't share a whole lot with you in the Ephesians series is what led up to all of this. Paul had come off his third missionary journey, arrived in Jerusalem, been warned that there were a lot of evil rumors going on about him. and, And it was told him the best thing we can tell you to do is go up to the temple and make a sacrifice. Well, to make a long story short, when Paul attempted to do this, um, a riot ensued amongst the, the, the Jewish leaders and people. And in order for his life to be protected... Uh, and, and later on, we learn that, that he, there's even a plot afoot to, to, to murder him, to assassinate him. In order to prevent all of that, Paul has to be arrested by the Roman occupiers and carted off to a city uh, fairly distant named Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul's there, he's done nothing wrong, and he cools his heels in Caesarea for two years and cannot persuade the Roman governor to release him and declare him innocent of his charges. Finally, he is forced to do something that he, as a Roman citizen, had the privilege of being able to do, and that is appeal to have his case heard by Caesar. So he does that, and he's given a Roman guard, an escort, They get on a ship, sail across the Mediterranean. They're doing it at a a not optimal point in the the year for sailing, and a huge storm comes up. Paul is shipwrecked. The the entire ship breaks apart. There are 200-plus people on this ship, and they're tossed ashore on an island. Before... uh, before (laughs) Paul can hardly do anything uh, just to warm up. They start a fire and 
and uh, a, a poisonous viper comes out from underneath the wood that they've lit the fire and attaches itself to his hand. The way the book of Acts describes this is it appears as if Paul lifts up his hand like this with the serpent uh, attached to it via his fangs. Everyone's convinced he's going to die, but he doesn't. And in fact, he does a number of miracles there on that island. And then he proceeds further on to Rome when the weather gets better and they find another ship. All of this has happened and it's not over yet. Paul cools his heels for an additional two years in Rome, waiting for Caesar to hear his trial. Can you imagine four years in prison when you've done nothing wrong and all those other horrible events? Do you think that you would be saying, I thank my God here from this jail cell where I've been for four years being completely innocent. Thank you, Jesus. Do you think that would be your thought, your first thought? And yet as Paul writes to the Philippians, it's his first thought. I thank my God. And one of the things that he thanks his God for is the Philippians who have supported him along with other Macedonian congregations again and again and again with provisions, with money, with prayers, even sending people to support Paul in Rome. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I'm not only grateful, I'm joyful, Paul says from this prison cell, because I know about your partnership. And that partnership is centered and encompassed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has died for all of us to forgive all of our sins. And when we think about that together, that just pulls us together and unites us. Despite the fact that I'm here in Rome, Paul says, and you're way over there in Philippi and Macedonia, we're still together. We still have this very tight bond that the gospel the cross of Jesus Christ has, 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 has brought in our midst. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident. So I want you to notice this progression and circle these words. First of all, circle the word thank, and then I want you to circle the word joy, and then I want you to draw a, an arrow from thank to joy, and then I want you to circle a third word, confident, and draw a line from joy to confident, because here's what Paul is teaching us. He's teaching us that when we begin with gratitude, no matter what our circumstances, when we look up to God and say, God, I thank you, See, Paul, what was Paul doing here in the midst of all this personal messiness, this beyond food fight messiness? He was finding the silver lining, wasn't he? I may be rotten away here in this jail, but I have these beautiful Philippians who love me and support me and partner with me. So instead of looking at the disastrous part of his life in faith, Paul looks to the silver lining, and he says, I've got my beautiful Philippians helping me 
through all these struggles and sufferings. And that brings me joy. See, he, it's, picture it as stones. And he's like, I'm grateful. And that gives me joy. And when I find joy in this beautiful blessing of my brothers and sisters in Philippi, finally, I remember God's promises give me confidence. If you've ever thought to yourself, I wish I were a more confident person, you can just reverse engineer that. To be more confident, find your joy. To find your joy, find your gratitude. And that's what Paul did in this prison cell. So I want you to, to, uh, to write this down, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Jeremiah very quickly. Thanksgiving creates a space for gratitude and joy. So I know I skipped past Jeremiah momentarily. Let's go back there. Jeremiah is a beautiful example, maybe even more so than Paul, that this does not depend on circumstances. Because he too is in jail, Jailed, however, not by Roman occupiers. This is Old Testament. He's jailed by his own brothers and sisters, opposed by his fellow believers. And why? Because he's telling them the truth, that God is going to send Babylon to discipline the Jews. All the other prophets were a lot more politically astute than to tell the king the truth. Jeremiah, however, rather than being connected, well-connected to politics, is well-connected to God. And so he is committed to telling the king the truth. Sorry, king, I don't like telling you this. I know you don't like hearing it. Babylon is going to come in here, and they're going to kick our butts. And we're all going to be scattered, and we're going to become their prisoners. And so the king and his officials said, you know, Jeremiah, that's not very politically correct. We don't really enjoy hearing your message. You're going to be jailed. So this is what happens to him. And so here's another aspect to being able to leap from gratitude to joy to confidence. And what Jeremiah teaches us is sometimes we can find the silver lining as Paul did. But sometimes the silver lining is purely God's promises to us. What Jeremiah has to rely on is when God says, for a little while here, Jeremiah, it, it's going to be really, really rough because I am going to discipline my people. But I want you to know, and I promise you this, the joy will return. So with that little introduction, let's look at this passage. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard. Hear the promise there? This is what Jeremiah is, is forced to rely on to find his gratitude, his joy, and his confidence. There will be, those three words, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the, to the house of the Lord, saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever, for I will, there it is again, promise, 
I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. If you're looking around in your life right now, approaching Thanksgiving and going, man, I am searching for the silver lining and I can't find it. You may be in a similar position to Jeremiah. And if you can't find the silver lining, then find the promise. Find the promises of God that says, I still love you. It is in my character, it is in my very being to love you because I am love and I will not disappoint you. I will take care of you and I will bring back in your own life the sounds of joy and gladness and you will once again bring thank offerings. You know what that gives you the power to do? If you in faith, trust God's promises that he loves you and that he will one day get you through this and bring back joy and gladness, gives you the ability right now to exercise that faith by sitting down on Thanksgiving Day and saying, even if my life is a total mess, a worse than a food fight mess, and even if I can't find the silver lining, I still have God's gracious promises and I will rely on those. God will bring back joy and gladness because the Lord is good. Believe that. And his love endures forever. Thanksgiving is a beautiful blessing because it creates this space for gratitude and joy. So, I want you to to know that we really need this space. It, it can sound a little bit like God needs this space. God needs to hear our gratitude. But Thanksgiving isn't because God needs to hear our gratitude. His love is a constant. We need this space in order to express our gratitude and our faith so that we can find our joy and our confidence. And so one of the things that we see Paul doing is understanding that need. Notice how he starts this next passage. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Why does Paul say it's right? Because he knows that they're a God-given blessing to him. And for him to acknowledge and recognize that is a good thing. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul is saying is, even though my life is a mess, even if I'm being watched by this Roman soldier over here, even if there's a chain attached to my ankle, I, I have reasons. There, this is not an illogical gratitude that I feel. This is not uh, an unreasonable joy that I'm experiencing. No. It, it goes way beyond that because when I come back to the central truth of the gospel, I realize I have everything to be grateful for. That cross that Christ died on for me, oh my goodness, forgiveness. The power to change my life. I've wanted to change some of my habits for so long, we can think to ourselves. 
Do you realize that the gospel gives you the Holy Spirit's help to change those habits? It's amazing to think of. And the promise of everlasting life, that this, this life is not all there is. And it all comes to us, not by our own performance or our own working for it. Imagine Paul sitting in that prison cell who had grown up a Pharisee. And Pharisees were taught that they are the elite spiritually. But they were also taught that their entire relationship with God was based on performance and doing the right things, obedience to God's law. Can you imagine the relief? You see, it's, it's, there's one thing about being taught to be very proud, very elite-ish, that many of us don't realize. And that, that is that there's a lot of pressure that comes with that pride. Because once you set yourself up to be the top dog, well, you got to wake up every morning and perform to retain your position in your own head of being top dog. And furthermore, everybody around you, well, the beautiful illustration of this recently is Ronda Rousey. What happened the minute she failed? If you know this story at all about this this, uh, World Wrestling Federation fighter who never lost a fight, the moment she lost, everybody was celebrating. And if we have a pharisaical attitude that says we're above everyone else, we're playing spiritual king of the hill. And the pressure that goes along with that is everybody wants to knock us off that perch. Paul knew that pressure, the pressure of performing and the pressure of having others want to knock him off the perch. And when he heard about God's grace, he was like, this is awesome. My relationship to God doesn't depend on my performance. I can actually come down from the mountain and humble myself and repent of the sins and repent of my sins and know that the blood of Jesus washes them all away and pressure be gone. And so Paul sitting in that prison cell goes, I love God's grace. I love it. And you, Philippians, you share God's grace. We've sat down at the Thanksgiving table and and spooned up a big helping of God's grace, and we're all sharing that together. Crosswalk people, the same is true for you. Sit down at the Thanksgiving table on Thursday, and before you spoon up the, the beans with the little gravy and the onions on them, you know, and the mashed potatoes and the green jello with the Cool Whip on top of it. Before you slice off some turkey, I want you to stop for just a moment and, and spoon up for yourself a big fat helping of God's grace and realize how much you've been given through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord. Notice how these connect for Paul all the time. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul's thankful for God's grace. He's thankful for the fellowship that he has with the Philippians. He's always putting those thoughts together. And so should we. 
I want you to write this down. Thanksgiving allows me an opportunity to celebrate God's grace and the blessings of fellowship, our family, our friends, and the allies that we have in our life. Turn the page over. I have a a friend because I have to travel once in a while, about four times a year, I travel up to Milwaukee. And uh, I I think about this individual uh, when I travel to Milwaukee. Unfortunately, he's not going to be coming with me anymore to Milwaukee. I'm going to miss him. Because here's what happens. Um, You, I know him as Andy. You know him as the welcome video guy. Okay, this is who I'm talking about so that I can embarrass him publicly. Here's what happens when we go to Milwaukee. We meet either at the airport to save money on car rentals or maybe we meet in the hotel lobby and we chat for a little bit. And Andy knows I like to work out. I know he likes to work out. And so he'll usually say something like, well, are you going to work out today before we start going to meetings? And I'll take a deep breath. Because I've kind of already planned my workout out, really. You know, I mean, I know what I want to do every day. I've got my clothes all packed nicely in the suitcase. I know when I want to do it, what's planned for that day. And usually it's something like maybe a little easy jog and push some weights around for 20, 25 minutes. And then after... Andy will say something like, what are you doing today? I'll tell him what my plan was. And he said, well, why don't you work out with me instead? And my heart sinks. Because if you've ever seen that insanity workout on television, I call this the Andy is insane workout. And it's beautifully built for hotel, uh, you know, they call those hotel gyms gyms, you know, as, as if uh, five free weights, and one treadmill is a gym. But of course, because Andy's my friend, what do I say when he says, you want to work out with me? Oh, yeah, let's, let's do this. Uh-huh. And, and guess what happens at that moment? After I have put on my workout clothes, I go down to the workout closet, and Andy and I pretty much occupy most of the space in there, although once in a while, one or two other people might squeeze in there with us, and we start doing the Andy is Insane workout. And I'm like this. And he's like, come on, let's go to the next thing. But you know what I've learned from that? How far I would push myself to meet my goals of being fit and healthy is different from how far, if I'm in community, I might get pushed to meet my goals. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is recognizing here, is is that he couldn't have done this without his friends in Philippi. Really, four years of being in prison, a shipwreck, a snake bite, all kinds of horrible things. How do you get through that without the fellowship, without the friendship that comes with being connected to your brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and Paul knows that together we can go further and we can go higher than we would go all by ourselves, just like the Andy is insane workout. 
Look, look at what he says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is in stinking prison for four years and his thought process is not woe is me. His thought process is how do we still meet our goals? How do we still share this beautiful message of the cross? And actually, what we learn from the Bible is that Paul is actively teaching even his pr uh, prison guards, the Praetorian Guard and others are learning about Christ. We, we learn both from the Bible and from history that all of a sudden, you found believers popping around, up around the entire city of Rome going into Caesar's household. Because the Philippians are motivating Paul through their goodness and kindness to keep on going to accomplish his goals. He's a missionary. God has commissioned him and called him to be a missionary and no jail cell is going to hold him in or hold him back. And meanwhile, it's working in reverse. As Paul has preached the gospel and Jesus has, has gone into the hearts of the Philippians and the other Macedonian congregations, look at what happens. I, I put a rather lengthy passage, but to show you how their faith is growing, they're becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ and their faith is filled with fruit. And now, brothers and sisters, we, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, notice that, it ain't, it ain't happy times for them either. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Do you see how community works? It works just the same between Paul and Philippi, one of the Macedonian congregations, as it works between Andy and me. You you push each other and you encourage each other. And it, and it doesn't take much. I'll, I'll tell you when we're in the lobby of the hotel, Andy has never once quoted an Abraham Lincoln speech to me or given me a pep talk. It's very simple. He just simply says, you want to work out together? You want to work out together. Six words. And I'm all, yeah. Let's, let's work out together knowing I'm going to die. <laughs> and, and this is what, that's the same dynamic going on here and that's the same dynamic that goes on here. 
God is working by his spirit's power through our hearts and minds and our togetherness. How do I get up before you today? I, I was able, by the grace of God, then to say, how did we do that? I don't know. Other than to say, praise God for his grace, his power, and our community, our family that we have here. Praise God for you and your generosity. We're going to have a month now where, as we do every year, we're going to talk about loving one another and, and sharing the goodness and the love of God in our community and amongst ourselves. And I know that there are going to, even after all the Beyond Border stuff, be generous people simply because I'm saying, guys, let's work out our faith together. And you're going to say, you know what? Yeah. Let's go work out our faith together. That's the way it works. Will you write this down? Thanksgiving grants me an occasion to focus on God's purpose and goals for my life. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to close out this message. And then, as always, we're going to give you a little period uh, for meditation. But I'm challenging you. Look at the, the bottom line at the bottom of this page. I'm, I'm issuing a gratitude challenge to all of us today, a 40-day gratitude challenge. From now through New Year's, I want to challenge you to write down every day three things that you are grateful to God for. And I'll be interested to see on New Year's Day, I'm going to come back and ask you, how many of you were able to follow through with me and write down three things every day that you were grateful for? I'm going to ask you to put on your communication card on New Year's Day, have you noticed any changes in your life, in your heart, in your mind, from taking the 40-day gratitude challenge? I've given you three spaces so that, should you like to join me in this challenge and and follow me when I say, let's exercise our faith together, that you can start during this meditation period. Let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have given us all your grace, all your blessings, right up to your one and only son, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Father, we have so much to be thankful for, and yes, our lives are messy, far messier than a food fight. We have real life messiness, God. We, we know that many in our church family are going through severe trials of their own, just like the Macedonians. But we also know that we are capable by faith of finding that silver lining. We are capable by faith of resting in your promises and knowing that you are a God who loves us forever. That's your character. Father, I pray that you would put those thoughts on every heart and mind as we approach Thanksgiving this year. Help us find our gratitude, and from our gratitude, help us find our joy, and from our joy, help us find our confidence. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. 
visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I'm thankful that all of you came here today to to share in this experience of worshiping God and hearing from God in, in his word. There's one other thing I'm thankful for, and that is that next week we start a brand new series. So please come back next Sunday. We're starting a series called Waiting. And I just wanna, first of all, confess to you, I hate waiting. The other day I was coming back from a doctor's appointment to a meeting. I think I hit every red light. Or when I go to, to Fry's or, or wherever I shop, I always end up in the wrong line. Does that ever happen to you? To you? Like, I hate waiting, and that always happens to me. The worst is when you're on 19th Avenue and that little gate swings down for the train. That's absolutely... But I will say this. Waiting is a very important skill for a Christ follower. And that's why we want to talk about it. Think about those Old Testament believers waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to arrive. Think about yourself waiting right now for Jesus' second coming. Think about the things that you wait for even now as you prayed to God and you're waiting for his answer. It's an essential skill. So come back next week, bring your friends. This will be a great series to invite a friend or a family member to. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.